You may be seated. Siblings in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So did anybody else feel like they had to take like a big deep breath and kind of let it out and say a silent prayer when you heard the gospel tonight? Yeah, nothing like the Sermon on the Mount, huh? We often like to think of Jesus as bringing peace and harmony, good feelings that we can hold on to, the grace that comes to us as a gift where we can no longer do anything to save ourselves. While that last part is definitely true, the Gospels, that is the good news of Jesus Christ, main focus is to make us uncomfortable. It's meant to show us the revolutionary transformation that comes with the breaking in of the kingdom of God. And at this point, I can see that many of you are probably thinking to yourself, Lindsay, English please. So let's look at this gospel text from Matthew's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' sermon goes forward in this pattern of, you have heard it said, followed by, but I say to you, Now, when you hear that, does it sound like Jesus is giving new instruction that maybe trumps what's come before? But what if, instead of these statements of Jesus being a replacement for the traditional law of the Ten Commandments, they are in fact an intensification of those commandments? We hear that the law is in fact life-giving in our first reading from Deuteronomy. Keeping the law is what brings life and blessing in the Old Testament. It's similar in the New Testament. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus intensifying the law. Life in Christ, full life in Christ, calls us to be more, to live into a higher standard. All of this is not just for ourselves, especially as none of this is what brings us salvation, but it's also for the good of our neighbor. This coming summer, we have about 40 students attending YouthWorks service trips to Duluth and New Orleans. YouthWorks recently released their theme for the 2020 program season. The theme is neighbors, not where, but who, not if, but how. The theme is based off the story of the Good Samaritan in the Gospel of Luke. While our gospel text is different, I think the theme still aptly applies to what we're discussing tonight. This is where our confirmation students should pay extra close attention, as this will help you answer some questions during class time following worship. And I told you if you did it quickly, we could have a game night. So our gospel text walks us through three of the Ten Commandments. The three that we're talking about this evening all come from what's known as the second tablet otherwise known as the commandments that govern govern our relationship with our neighbors. So the first one is the fifth commandment, and you can see it up on the screen. It's, you shall not kill. Now that's a pretty obvious one, right? It needs no explanation. But is that really all it's saying? Luther explains in his small catechism that Jesus' intensification of the law by stating that we are to fear and love God so that we do not hurt our neighbor in any way, but help him in all his physical needs. 
In our text, Jesus calls us to reconcile with one another, to rebuild broken relationships. In other words, we are to be actively concerned about the well-being of our neighbor. And just who is our neighbor? Everyone we come in contact with. And how are we to care for them? We're to help with physical needs and be mindful of the things that we say. And the sixth commandment builds on the fifth. If you look closely at the Ten Commandments, you will see that this is the case. One builds on the one before. Where the fifth was general to all those around us, the sixth adds specifics regarding how we treat one another in matters of sexuality. You shall not commit adultery, means Luther says. We are to fear and love God so that in matters of sex, our words and conduct are pure and honorable and spouses love and respect one another. So while this commandment is about marriage, it's also about how we treat our neighbor. And who is our neighbor again? Everyone. When we look at or interact with others, we're to look on them as a child of God, made in his image, not as a mere object for our pleasure or purposes or to have power over. The Eighth Commandment continues to build on those before it, as it states, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. We're to fear and love God so that we do not betray, slander, or lie about our neighbor, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain his actions in the kindest way. I have to say that this is the one I struggle with the most, especially when I'm mad at someone. But of course, that's when I need it the most. In theology classes, we talked about the uses of the law. So the Ten Commandments are the law, right? So the first use of the law is using things like the Ten Commandments to limit our behavior. If you're a kid, your parents lay down rules. Parents, you're the ones laying down the rules. They lay out boundaries of what not to do. The second use of the law convicts us when we do wrong. It calls us to account and puts a mirror before us to show us what we have done wrong. But it doesn't end there. With conviction comes an action to right the wrong. Reconciliation. Repair. There's something at the core of ourselves that really wants this. That wants relationships repaired. But we don't just do it for ourselves. As the text from our gospel tells us, we do this to also put ourselves right with God. How we treat and think of others affects our relationship with God. In order to put our whole mind on God, our whole heart into worship, we must repair relationships because that is what God calls us to do. Relationships. Life-giving relationships. God is calling us to a community of love, of trust. A community where we treat each other Treat each and every person as a child of God, made in his image. A community where we make a deep commitment to one another. Where our yes means yes, and our no means no. Where we show love and care to our neighbor through how we speak to and act toward one another. 
a community in which when we make promises at things like baptism, at confirmation services, at weddings, and the like, to support others as a community, we do that in a real and life-giving way. Neighbors, not where, but who. Not if, but how. Concrete, specific, embodied, relational, transformative encounters with all whom we meet. In short, take the time to be intentional, authentic, and outward focused. Now with that being said, I know that everyone flinches a little bit when I ask them to talk to each other, so I'm not going to. But if you could, I want you to take a minute to think for a moment about just one way you could have an intentional and authentic moment with someone else. And then take another moment to think about one person who you need to make peace with. How might you make a step to do that this week? So take a minute and think about how you can have an intentional and authentic moment with someone else that doesn't involve a phone, that involves face-to-face -face communication, looking each other in the eye, and then who is one person you need to make peace with?